Hello and welcome back to Grieving Well, a podcast in which we are looking at C.S. Lewis's grief observed, his chronicles of his great loss whenever he lost his wife. This is week four of our study in which we'll conclude chapter two of his book. The title for this episode is Waiting for Something to Happen because that's what we see happening here with Lewis at this point. He's He's essentially on pause. He's at this point in his grief, at this point in his pain, where he just wants it to go away, and unfortunately, it's not doing that. And in this process, one of the biggest things that we see is Lewis's, uh, how he's dealing with the very nature of who God is, the very nature of what God is like, and this really, I almost say simple, it's at least simple in the sense that we can all understand it, it's simple in the sense of it seems like it's either just a, a simple yes or no question, but he's asking the question, is God good? You know, you think about that prayer, those songs that you sing as a child, you know, but that that are, that probably one of the very first prayers you might have ever learned, God is good, God is great. And in this section, Lewis is wondering about that. He He's not sure if that's really the case. So let's look at what he says in this section. I'd like to begin here with a paragraph where he actually brings up three things about religion. He says, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion, which is to say how it can make us feel better. Don't come to me talking about that, or I shall suspect that you don't understand. And just to be quite frank, Lewis hits on something here that uh, most people that are in the grieving process It just makes sense. It's something that uh, you go, I can understand exactly where he's coming from there, where he says, you know, I believe this truth of religion. I believe, you know, the stuff I'm supposed to do in religion. And, And also, let me make sure I say here, when he says religion, it doesn't have the negative connotation that religion often has today of, you know, you hear people say it's about a relationship, not a religion. He's talking about uh, very much the good connotation of religion, just this the, the fact of uh, following God, the fact of living holy, the fact of looking to Him. But he says, that, you know, if you want to talk about the truths of it, if you want to talk about the duties of it, I'm on board. But right now, it's not helping me. And so what we see throughout this chapter is a man struggling with pain, a man struggling with what seems to be, to him at least, and what I'm probably a lot of us have felt before. This religion stuff, this God stuff, doesn't seem to be taking away the pain. So I'd like for us to take just a couple of moments here and talk about the very nature of pain, what pain is. You know, I mean, biologically speaking, uh, pain is actually a good thing. You know, it's something that lets us know there's something wrong. Someone who has uh, just had their arm chopped off, it is a good thing that they are in an incredible amount of pain that keeps them from continuing to do what they were doing uh, previously. It keeps them out of danger. Um, you know, pain can be a very, very useful tool, both, of course, you know, for ourselves, but for ourselves physically, but not just physically. It can also be true in, in so many other ways. Pain is an indicator that there's something wrong. It's that alarm clock, uh, alarm going off telling us that we need to back away, that there's danger. So pain can be a great thing. The problem is, though, as we're going to see throughout this chapter, is what do you do when there's pain going off and you you can't get out. You can't escape. You can't remove the source of the pain. What do you do then? And that's what Lewis is struggling with here. Uh, 
he even says later in the in the chapter, it doesn't really matter whether you grip the arms of the dentist's chair or let your hands lie in your lap. The drill drills on. Now, of course, he's writing from a time where uh, anesthesia and uh, dental methods weren't as good as they are today, but we've probably all experienced something like that. Uh, maybe it was in the dentist's chair, maybe it was in some other kind of way, but we've experienced that sensation where it doesn't really matter what I do, I'm hurting and I can't turn it off. I've suffered with migraines uh, for several years now and thankfully don't have them typically uh, any worse than anyone else and don't have them, you know, too terribly often. <laughs> you see the commercials on TV talking about 15 or more a month. Mine are around eight or nine a month. And I have a medicine that I can take that it 95% of the time knocks out the migraine and I'm okay. Uh, but a few days ago, I had what was arguably the worst migraine I've ever had in my life, both in terms of um, the level of pain, but also how long it lasted. And uh, I'll tell you that evening, I, I was, I could feel exactly what Lewis was talking about here, about the drill drills on. There was nothing in the world that I could do to make the pain better. You know, and, and those of you that have been in those kind of painful situations, uh, you try all kinds of things. I mean, you know, you, you get on the internet, you look for remedies, you'll, you know, maybe if I try putting a cold pack on my head and uh, dipping my body in hot water, maybe if I run, maybe if I uh, go upside down, I mean, you'll try anything because pain is that thing, again, biologically, but also emotionally, spiritually, it's that thing that says there's something wrong and I need to get out of here. And uh, pain is one of those things we can't really explain it other than just to know what it is. And so we bring that back into what Lewis is talking about in his grief, what we experience in our grief, but also what we experience not, not just in times of grief, but what we experience throughout our lives in times where whatever's going on, is it's, it's so bad, it's so intense, and there's nothing we can do about it. There's, you know, again, we try all kinds of things. Maybe it's a marriage that's falling apart for some of you. Maybe it's a job that's just not working out. Maybe it's a relationship with a child, with a parent, with a loved one that isn't going the way you want it to. Maybe it's that old battle with sin. And it's like, I, I can't, I can't seem to move this. It's, it's immovable. I can't seem to budget. I can't seem to get past it. Or, again, back here to Lewis, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And after the funeral is over, after everybody has said their goodbyes, after maybe even some of the flowers have started to fade in the weeks and months after their loss, and you're still sitting there just wanting so badly to see that person back, wanting so badly, again, all those other situations that I mentioned, you want to have those things back, and yet you know you know, you know, there's no going back. This is where Lewis finds himself, and this is where we often find ourselves. And so we return to what we were talking about towards the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast here, is who is God? What is He like? Because various people that are listening right now, some of you have experienced more pain than I may ever experience in my life, and some of you may never experience my level of pain. That doesn't matter. It's not a competition. At the end of the day, though, we have all and probably will all experience levels of pain where 
it just, at the end of the day, we don't know what to say other than, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow this to happen? It's the it's the oldest, uh, or at least one of the oldest questions for Christians to have to answer when sharing their faith. I think of a, a young man that uh, when I went to college, uh, we were uh, in college together. He experienced a lot of turmoil, had a lot of stuff going on. I remember I was talking to him one evening, middle of the night, talking to him on the phone. This was about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the night. And he said, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to know Jesus, but I can't, I can't get past this. How in the world could a loving God send people to hell? If those are his children, doesn't he love them? And what Lewis is uh, looking at here is basically the same kind of question. How can God let me hurt this much, this deeply, this long? How, what does this say about who God is? So for the remainder of this podcast, what I'd like to do is to examine some possible answers to this question of what kind of a God would allow pain? What kind of a God would allow the levels of grief that we go through? And so we'll look at some things here, uh, including as possible answers, what Lewis, uh, what he offers, uh, also some things that scripture says and and some other possibilities as well. Of course, one possible answer, uh, and as you, spoiler alert, as you might imagine, I'm going to reject this as an answer, but it is a common answer is, uh, you know, one answer is there is no God. Well, Lewis neither entertains that nor do I. Uh, but what Lewis kind of does entertain here is the possibility that God may be a, uh, a bad God, or at least how we would uh, look at it as a bad God. Lewis wonders aloud. He says, sooner or later, I must face the question in plain language. What reason have we, except our own desperate wishes, to believe that God is, by any standard we can conceive, good? Doesn't all the prima facie evidence, which is all the evidence that's on the surface, doesn't that suggest exactly the opposite? Okay, so he says here, you know, when you look around, it seems like the evidence, at least on the surface, the evidence that first presents itself, doesn't it seem to say that uh, maybe this God isn't so good? And I love here how Lewis answers his own question, because right after he asked that, he says, what have we to set against it? What can we say to this charge that God is not all that good? And he answers his own question by saying, we set Christ against it. We set Christ against it. So the charge that God could be a bad, evil God We need only look at Christ to see that can't be the case. That cannot be the case, that a God would willingly lay down his son for a bunch of traitors, that he would show his love, that he would demonstrate his love in such a fashion. The gospel itself screams against, it absolutely rails against any possibility that God could in any conceivable way be evil, be bad, that he could in any way be the subject of our scorn or anything of that nature. Moving along from there, I appreciate, too, how Lewis addresses his attitude as it has been through here. He uh, comes back, and uh, within this same chapter, after some of the things that we've talked about here, he says, I wrote that last night. It was a yell rather than a thought. And so we do see here some of the things that we've been talking about 
these this this is not Lewis in uh, as we have talked about before. This is not his polished form. This is not uh, the final product of his thoughts. This is him though, outwardly uh, expressing what's going on inside of him. Again, remember this originally was supposed to just be his journals. So we're not reading. Uh, in fact, I would I would say it's very similar to the Book of Job. You read the book of Job, you have to be very careful because if you just jump in the middle of it, you get some things that are theologically off uh, because they are coming from, well, sometimes Job's friends, sometimes Job himself, who in the midst of his pain and they in the midst of trying to find a scapegoat for why he's experiencing all that he's experiencing, they say some things that are not true about God. They say some things that are not true about Job. And yet, if we take that book as a whole, we get an incredible picture of who man is and who God himself is. I would say similar thing is happening here. So again, I want to remind you, we're in the midst of this book. We're in the midst of these journals. So Lewis is not yet uh, similar to, uh, so again, if you, in fact, if you've ever heard many sermons from Job, they're almost always going to be from the first couple of chapters or the last couple of chapters, because everything in between is Job and his friends trying to figure out what's going on. That's where we are right now. So, you know, if you're ready to stone Lewis uh, for being a terrible person, he would later be ready to do the same thing, okay? So uh, give him a little bit of slack there. I really appreciate, too, here how he continues because he says, uh, you know, this thinking of God as, as bad and he even, as he calls him at one point, possibly the, the cosmic sadist. He says, I think it is, if nothing else, too anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic is a nice big word that basically means man-shaped. And so uh, anthropomorphism is any time where we think of God, we look at God, we describe God in terms that makes him human. Um, and by the way, that's not always a bad thing. Uh, for example, you see in Genesis when it talks about God walking with Adam and Eve, that's an anthropomorphism. That's him uh, being given traits that are human-like so that we can relate to him. And so Lewis says here, this whole bad, good thing, uh, it might be a bit um, anthropomorphic. He, he goes on to say, when you come to think of it, it is far more anthropomorphic than picturing him as a grave old king with a long beard. So he says that, uh, you know, trying to figure out, trying to look at God as, as someone that is up there, as he even describes it at one point, uh, God vivisecting, which is a, a way of saying it's dissecting while the, uh, while the subject is still alive. You know, is God up there just watching us flail about? Is he watching us? Is he enjoying it as he is being cruel and, and we're running around like rats in a maze? And Lewis says, you know, I need to, I need to step back from that uh, because I'm picturing him in far too, too human terms. He is too anthropomorphic in that sense. The next possible answer that Lewis gives here is, as he calls it, extreme Calvinism. Now, for those unaware of what Calvinism is, you can simply ask our pastor, Brother Matthew, right? I'm uh, intentionally here just giving him a bit of a uh, a bit of a hard time so that he can have all the fun of dealing with theological uh, hardships. But uh, in short, because we, we our time here is limited, I will say here, when he talks about extreme Calvinism, he's talking about something that we call hyper-Calvinism or possibly seven-point Calvinism. And without getting too deep into this, basically what he's talking about is this idea of, and it's not even your, it's not even what is you know typically called Calvinism or the Reformed position, but a very extreme form of it in which God not only 
it, it isn't just that God, that everyone was headed to hell and God saved some. This form would be where God created people with the intention that this person goes to hell and the intention that that person goes to heaven and that he takes joy in that, that he has created some people so that uh, so that they would be uh, purely objects of wrath, okay? And Lewis responds to that by saying that doesn't really help us that much, you know, uh, because in, in this framework, the typical... Uh, and it's kind of a, it's, it's a bit cliche, it's a bit too easy, it's a bit of a cop-out, a bit of a pat answer in which uh, you can so simply, and, and the same can be true of, of not only just the plain Reformed tradition or even the Arminian tradition, it's this really easy answer of, well, he's God and he knows what he's doing. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm a big believer in God's sovereignty. I very much say we, we don't get to tell God uh, what he ought to do. But for someone that's in the midst of pain, for someone that's in the midst of grief, they can, I, I do believe, they can wonder. They can ask God. They can go to him and seek him and fall on their face before him and say, God, would you help me to understand this? And so what Lewis is guarding us against here is to say that, you know, don't don't give out that little, that trite uh, answer of, well, he's God and he knows what he's doing. It doesn't do much to address the pain. It's logical. It uh, speaks to the mind, but it, it leaves the heart very much lacking. One of the final ways in which Lewis addresses, though, the, the answer of, uh, you know, what is going on with God? Is he bad? Is he good? Lewis says this. He says, quote, Why, why do I make room in my mind for such filth and nonsense? Do I hope that if feeling disguises itself as thought, I shall feel less? In other words, Lewis is saying here, if I, do I, am I hoping that by expressing all my feelings through sentences, through rational thought, do I think that'll make me feel better? And he goes on to say, aren't all those notes the senseless writhings of a man who won't accept the fact that there is nothing we can do with suffering except to suffer it? End quote. Now, in this chapter... Uh, Lewis doesn't actually come to a, a uh, what we might call a satisfying answer. He doesn't give us much here in the way of an answer as to what's going on with God being good, with God being bad. We're going to have to wait a bit before we get an answer from Lewis. So what I want to do, though, is I do want to, as we have done in the past with some of our previous uh, stuff, is I want us to go to Scripture, and I want us to see what Christ would say to this question. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at Luke 13. And this is, uh, in this passage, is uh, this is Luke's version of uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Model Prayer. And then after that, we get Luke's version of this famous passage in which Jesus, and it's often quoted, you know, that if, uh, that it, I tell you, if you ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But then after that, verses 10 through 13, he says some things, uh, or rather 11 through 13, he says some things that aren't often quoted that I think really help us address this issue of God's nature. Is he good? Is God actually good? And Jesus says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Okay, well, and by the way, that's that's kind of a weird question. I love how Jesus does that so though sometimes is he asks things and you're like, that's that's a, that's kind of weird. That's kind of an odd situation, Jesus. But he says here, you know, if if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? And you know everyone around right then's no, not that bad of a father. Might be a bad father, but I'm a, not that bad. Then Jesus continues, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Okay, so in other words, if a child asks their father for something good, will they give them, will the father give that child something bad? Then verse 13, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good, the word there, good, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And right there, I think we get a great answer to what Lewis is looking for here. It's that the Heavenly Father will give us the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to validate, though, at least one big part of what Lewis is talking about, and that's the fact that in the midst of what we're dealing with, in the midst of our pain, as he said, sometimes the only thing to do with suffering is to suffer. Now, I think there's a, there's a, a kind of a double uh, double sidedness to this, uh, in the sense that uh, I want to affirm the reality that sometimes you can't just brush the suffering away, you can't just brush the grief away, you can't just throw the problem in the closet. So sometimes it, it's there, and uh, contrary to some versions of theology, some uh, teachings and denominations within Christianity. Sometimes you can't just grin your teeth and bear it. You can't just, you know, praise Jesus and now everything's okay and I'm not suffering anymore. But where I, what, I, what I do think Lewis is missing, at least so far in the midst of what he's talking about, is but what we do have, or rather who we do have, is we do have the Holy Spirit. We do have the Father's grace. We do have the Father's love and, and, and when I say love there, I don't just mean the affection, but just his actual tender mercy, his actual pouring out of grace and mercy in our lives so that in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, he may not remove it completely. Praise God, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But in the midst of that, we do have his presence. And that's a big part of what I do believe that Lewis is, for the most part at least, missing here. So... What we've talked about this week, again, is pain. Why, why would a good God allow that? And I'm going to tell you, I wish I had a great answer that I could wrap up in a bow and just make everybody happy. But in 2,000 years of church history, no one's given a completely great answer that just makes everybody go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But what we can do is to look at the truths of Scripture. We can look at the truths of, of even our experience in Christ. Uh, and what we can see in the midst of that is, and it's something I've mentioned before and we'll probably end up mentioning again, but we lo- need look no further than Christ on the cross to see this picture of the man who is experiencing somehow suffering and also the joy that is set before him. He is in the midst of death receiving the life that is on its way. We get this amazing picture in the man, Jesus of Nazareth, this man who is the incarnation of God the Son. We have this picture of the Christ, the suffering servant, this man who somehow simultaneously 
is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the same time saying things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. Saying the, these, this amazing mixture of things, and in Him we live. In Him we, we breathe and we have our being. And in that, it's not just salvation to get to heaven. He shows us this is humanity. This is what it means to live. Now, I say all that, and I'm also the rem- though reminded that in my grief, in my pain, in my struggles, and this isn't some cliche, man, I fall far short of that. But that is my goal. That is my goal, that in the midst of my pain, that in the midst of, of the things that I face, that I could be more like Christ. And that is my prayer for you. And so that closes out this week's session, and I look forward to talking to you next time.